from Psalm 118 and from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 11. Um, the words will be on the screen behind me, uh, but if you would like to use one of the church Bibles, you can find those readings uh, on page 614 and on page 995. But we'll start with Psalm 118. O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Eats of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and, be, and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords, up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now we turn to Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 11. 
Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before them and those that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Reading that for us, Hugh. Uh, Good morning, my name's Caden, if we haven't met. uh, It's great to see you all here this morning, especially if you've joined us uh, for the first time after carols or you're new with us. Uh, So good to uh, see you here and I'd love to chat afterwards. Uh, It's my great privilege this morning to uh, jump into God's Word with you. We'll get to that in a moment, don't you worry. See some some eyes there. Uh, Before we get there, how about I pray for us? Heavenly Father, We thank you for the joy of Christmas, the time to reflect on your goodness to us in Jesus. We pray this morning that as we look at your word, that we might be changed by it. We ask that you might make us a people of thankfulness to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know if you know, but I'm from New Zealand. (laughs) Yeah, outrage. Uh, One of the most distinctive things about New Zealand, I think, is that All Blacks haka. Uh, If you don't know what it is, it's the whole All Blacks team all joined together, uh, all much bigger than I am, uh, in maybe what you'd describe as a synchronized chant. Uh, But as I've been mulling over Psalm 118 in the last week or so, I couldn't help but notice the parallels between the All Blacks haka and the psalm. You might think of the haka as just a fierce challenge designed to intimidate any Australian or other rugby team. Now, it definitely is used for that, uh, to get the All Blacks fired up. Uh, But the history of the haka and the words are actually quite different. Uh, The haka was written by a Maori chief, Te Rauparaha, in the early 1800s, after another chief in his tribe had escaped Te had helped to escape from his enemies. The opening lines of the haka, kamate, kamate, kaura, kaura, that are a reflection on his escape. Will I die? Will I die? Will I live? Will I live? See, there's an, an element of uncertainty in his predicament. And he goes on to thank the people who have saved him for the generosity of the people and this tribe who have helped him to escape his enemies. 
And he's thankful that as he comes out of this pit that he's hidden in, he sees the sun once again. And this heart is down from generation to generation until it's taken on the fully-fledged form it is by the All Blacks today. But Te Paraha and the tribe that he led, they had something to be really thankful for. And it's good and natural to be thankful, to overflow in praise for good things. And I don't know about you, but I often need that reminder. Maybe I praise the little things. Maybe I'm thankful for a good piece of technology or maybe a good movie that I've seen recently or a great restaurant. Maybe for you it's a bit of a bigger thing. Maybe your kids are doing really well at school or you've got a job promotion and you're thankful. But I think I need that reminder. I think we all need that reminder to be praising God for the amazing things that he has done for us through Jesus. And so today my prayer for us as we reflect on Psalm 118 is that God might do that work in us, that we might ooze thanksgiving to God. Uh, So we'll look at the psalm in two parts. Firstly, the king's deliverance, and then secondly, the king's entry, before we think about Jesus, the true king who deserves all praise and thanks. So if you've got your Bible, have it open there at Psalm 118, so you can follow along. And firstly, we'll be thinking about the king's deliverance. The psalm begins and ends with a call to praise that we've heard already in our service a few times. Both verse 1 and then verse 29 say, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. That's a verse that you could start and end each day with, isn't it? In a world that's crying out for your attention, crying out for your praise, especially as we come to Christmas and the end of the year, and you're rushing around madly trying to finish everything off before everything closes and ends for the year. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. But praise is not only individual, is it? It's not just a personal thing that we do by ourselves. As we come together here each week, and as we meet with other Christians during the week, uh, in your Bible study groups or uh, as friends, we can praise God. Uh, But the psalm here has this uh, corporate kind of feel. It's got a call and response element to it. Have a look at verse 2, 2 to 4. Let Israel say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love is forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Do you get it? For those of us who need a reminder, his steadfast love endures forever. But this call and response is a way of acting out the drama that's happened all throughout the history of Israel's people to take part in the remembrance of it. This psalm recalls past events to lead the people of God to praise of him. Now, in Psalm 118, we're not told which specific event the psalmist is reflecting on, but because of that fact, I think that it makes it easier for the people that it was written for and for us to take the psalm into our situation. That first line... Uh, In verse 1, 
It's a common refrain, and it's picked up. Uh, it's used first by King David uh, when he brought the ark into Jerusalem, and then it's used by other prophets, other priests, and other kings when God had, or when he was about to uh, deliver the, these people and do wonderful things for them. And as King David used these words, he was acting not just as the prime minister, as the ruler of the nation, but he was acting as a priest. He was leading the people in their religious ceremony. See, the king had a dual role of both king and priest, leading the people in governing, but more importantly, leading them in their praise of God. There was no division between church and state in Israel's monarch period, which was great when they had a good king and terrible when they had a bad king. They were all led astray as a nation by their king, or they were devoted to God in praise of him. But in our part of the Psalms, in this last part, as we've been looking through the five books of Psalms, we're in book five here, and Israel has no king. They've come back from exile, and they're still under foreign rule with governors and leaders, but no king. So they're reflecting back on a time when they had a king and anticipating a time to come when they will once again be led by a king in worship of God. But in this psalm, we seem to have a king, a great representative of his people. He's leading them in worship. He's not just a priest or a musician. He's their military leader. Have a look uh, down in verse 10. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. The nations surround him. And he acts with divine help, just as God's appointed king that we heard about back in Psalm 2 in the intro to our book of Psalms. So what's the center of this drama? It's people against God's king. And the tension is, where will this king put his trust? Will he trust in people or in God? Will he trust that his enemies are powerful and can overcome him? Will he look at other people and look to them for his salvation? Will he call up another nation superpower to fight against his enemies? No, this king trusts in God. He knows where his help is from. As we've heard, God's steadfast love endures forever. So the king can say in verse 6, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? That's a surprising thing to say, isn't it? I will not fear. Especially when the king is surrounded by the nations. As though by or by a fire. Now, I know wasps and bees are a little bit different, uh, but at our place we've got some uh, pretty nasty wasps, the uh, huntsman-killing spider wasps. They're big. I can imagine being surrounded by those. Uh, I'd be pretty afraid. <clears throat> and if you've lived in Sydney for a while, you know to fear fire, don't you? So when the psalmist says, what can man do to me? Well, that's a rhetorical question, but the answer seems to be, man can kill you. 
That's a pretty, pretty frightening thing, isn't it? Shouldn't he be afraid? But he isn't overcome because he has God on his side. Despite the potential for death, he knows he is safe with God. This king knows who God is. He knows God's character and his power towards those he's committed to. And so in verse 14, this king quotes from Moses' song in Exodus 15, after God had rescued the Israelites from Egypt and their slavery there. He says, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Just as God saved his people with great power from the seemingly powerful nation of Egypt, he saves this king from the enemies that are surrounding him. But this deliverance of the king is not just for the king's sake, it's for the people's sake. The king is the one who leads his people. He's the one who represents them. And so when God saves his king, he saves his people as well. So we see in verse 15, glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. All God's people, all the righteous, rejoice in his salvation. They see the power of the Lord when he delivers his king. As in the Exodus, they see the powerful hand of the Lord for them, delivering them from their enemies. And God leads them out of slavery in Egypt toward his holy dwelling, that they might praise God for his deliverance, that they might dwell with him and have God in their midst. And so in the second part of the psalm, from verse 19, we come to God's holy dwelling. God has been the king's salvation, and just as the Israelites in Exodus, so he comes to God's holy place to praise him and to lead his people in praise. The king says, verse 19, Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. He has come to God's holy city, to God's holy temple. He has come to the place where God has set his name to dwell. That name that this king has felt the power of as he's pushed his enemies back. The name through which he quenched the flames of the enemies. And what a joy this king's arrival is. Far greater than the return of whichever team won the Rugby World Cup. Now this is a great, joyous, triumphant entry. The type of entry that you line the streets and praise and shout as he walks up and praises God. And as he praises God before the people for answering his prayer and for becoming his salvation. But not his salvation alone. As their worship leader, the king expects the people to join in praising God for becoming their salvation. And the people respond to their king and to God's salvation. And verse 22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. God acts to bring about his purposes through weak things. 
like a rejected stone, building materials that seem unfit for purpose. Things like a slave nation under Egypt. Things like returning exiles under foreign rule. Things like a baby born to a young virgin in Bethlehem. Things like a betrayed and abandoned man dying on a cross like a criminal. So the people cry out to God, save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Save us. That's the correct response of God's people. He has acted in saving them through their king, and they cry out again in remembrance of this act. That's the response to God when we know that we don't have the power when we know our enemies are bigger than us, when we know that we are part of the problem, save us from ourselves, should be our cry. And they praise God and his king through whom he has brought salvation. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. They're blessing both God and his king praising them from God's temple where he dwells in the center of his people. And finally, this king speaks once more directly to God. Verse 28, You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. The king knows God personally. And because he knows God personally, because he has experienced God's salvation for himself, he can lead his people in praise of God. And so lastly, it's amazing to think of this pattern of the psalm, of praise for God's deliverance of his people through his king, and to see how Jesus slots right into that. Now, the Jews in Jesus' day reminded each other regularly of the psalm. And so as Jesus entered Jerusalem, Hosanna, the crowds cry, in that second reading from Matthew's Gospel. Now, Hosanna is those words from the psalm, save us. And it's cried out by the crowds as a triumphant shout of God's salvation. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, coming in the name of the Lord is exactly what Jesus did. And the people saw a glimpse of that. Enough that they would take these words from the psalm on their lips in praise of both God and this chosen one, Jesus. Just like this king of our psalm, Jesus enters the gates in triumph. The people have called him blessed. He is the blessed one who comes in the name of the Lord. As Jesus rode into Jerusalem, into God's holy city, as the gates were open to him, and as he approached God's holy temple, the people cried out praise to him and in praise of God. They treat him as a great and honored guest, laying their cloaks down on the road, laying palm branches down. They're really rolling out the red carpet. But what for? What was it that they saw in Jesus? Well, the crowds told us at the end of that reading in Matthew, this is the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. See, they saw something of who Jesus was. They recognized enough 
of who he was to apply the words of this psalm to Jesus. They saw he was truly blessed. They saw that he came in the name of the Lord, that he followed God's law, that he spoke God's words to them as a prophet. But Jesus, this blessed one who came in the name of the Lord, whom they praised, is the same one they rejected. This Jesus was the rejected stone. The builders, all the Jewish leaders, uh, the crowds who were following him, who had seen Jesus' miracles, who had heard his words and his teaching, rejected him. Though they had recognized something special about him, even that he might be their salvation, the great irony is that this is the same group who cast him out. These people, together with the Romans that they brought Jesus to, become the nations surrounding Jesus, pushing him that he might fall. See, Jesus didn't appear glorious, born in a feeding trough from a quiet town, not coming with a power, pomp and ceremony. But when this group saw him, they thought they were rejecting a useless stone. But God was establishing him as the cornerstone. The cornerstone is the chief stone laid as the foundation to join two walls together. It's the base stone that is used as the measuring point for the rest of the building. To reject this cornerstone is to build the building on the wrong foundation. A foundation that cannot take the load. A foundation that is not worthy of praise and will crumple under any real pressure. It's Jesus who secures our salvation. It's Jesus who draws us into praise of God by cutting off our enemies. It's Jesus who fights our enemies, who puts death to death for us. In the name of the Lord, he comes. Emmanuel, they call him, God with us. And it's the same Jesus who was driven back outside the gates rather than leading the festival procession up to the temple, to God's dwelling place, he was led out of the city with great mocking, bound as a sacrificial lamb. But that's God's pattern, isn't it? To use the rejected things, the weak and despised things. To use Jesus killed as a criminal, but exalted in God's eyes. And it's through this weakness that God brings about our salvation. As God raised Jesus from the dead. As God brought about salvation for Jesus by his resurrection. And demonstrating that Jesus had conquered sin and death once for all. So Jesus can say, you are my God and I will give thanks to you. And he can lead us in worship. Jesus is the true worship leader of his church as he gives us words to praise God with and a reason to do so because he knows us and has brought about our salvation through his victory. And so we look back on this great event in history of our king's salvation. And as we look forward to our king's return, 
while he rules over us and is present with us through his spirit. Let us take these words on our lips, praising God for the salvation he has worked for us through his king. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our salvation. We thank you that you gave power to your king, raising him from the dead, demonstrating his victory over sin and death, so that we might live in praise to you. Please make our lives be shaped by praise of you for this great salvation you have poured out on us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.